Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, friends. Let our hearts uh, go out even as our prayers arise and uh, our our resources accumulate for the people of Beirut, Lebanon. We've been talking here about uh, the crisis in Lebanon for a fairly long time, and we highlighted it just a couple of weeks ago. Um, And then yesterday, this massive explosion in in the port portion of the city, but the explosion is so massive that really the entire city is affected. Uh, the the impact um, tremors felt uh, 150 miles away. The reports of the devastation are a really. It's difficult to watch because of where your imagination then wanders. Because obviously, precious people were standing and walking and driving uh, and going about their lives um, on those streets that are now utterly covered with debris um, and in the portions of the city that are now flattened. A hundred are now confirmed dead, but many, many are missing. Four thousand are injured. Uh, The cause, which is still under investigation, uh, but at the center of the inquiry is a storage facility where for the past six years, confiscated materials, uh, including fireworks and some 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate, which is an explosive material, um, just for a point of reference here, the the Oklahoma City bombing here in the United States in 1995 that caused such massive damage in that 16-block blast radius, uh, we're we're talking there about um, under one metric ton of explosives uh, under one metric ton of this particular explosive, uh, which is ammonium nitrate also used you know, as fertilizer, but when mixed with diesel fuel um, or in this case, um, other, uh, uh, other accelerants that must have been in this storage facility. Um, so this explosion yesterday in Beirut involved potentially 2,750 metric tons. Uh, it's just, um, the scope of the devastation is just really quite dramatic, and our hearts go out to the people there. the The needs are obviously mammoth: humanitarian needs, medical and emergency food assistance, and that assistance is flowing in from all directions. Um, I, you know, I think that um, this is one of those times when humanity rises um, and responds. Four of the city's hospitals were damaged in the blast. Uh, they only have six hospitals, and so the other two are completely overwhelmed. Field hospital, hospitals are scheduled to be uh, constructed today. Israel has opened the hospital on its northern border to any and all who need their care. Let me repeat that. Israel. So when, when you're having this conversation today about um, what's happening in Lebanon, first of all, uh, be prepared to come to the aid of people who 
whose lives have literally been ripped apart, um, their homes and businesses flattened, and and they don't live in a place that was already you know economically robust. So prepare to give. Let me just go ahead and say that. Prepare to give. Um, if you have wheat in barns, they're going to need it. That's basically uh, you know basically what I'll say about that. But this opportunity for there to be um, some kind of peace between Israel and its hostile neighbors um, is pretty extraordinary. Uh, President Rivlin yesterday tweeted in English, Arabic, and Hebrew. Uh, He's the president uh, of Israel. We share the pain of the Lebanese people. We sincerely reach out to offer our aid at this difficult time. Uh, The Knesset, uh, which is uh, the equivalent of Congress in Israel, uh, has sent condolences to the families of victims um, the Israeli Defense Forces has said this is a time to transcend conflict. And again, um, Israel has offered its uh, its hospital, which sits on the border, um, for any and all who um, who need who need their help. This is one of those opportunities where where being neighbor is defined as the one who who shows mercy to the one who needs mercy. And so let's be mindful of that today uh, in our prayers and in our conversations and in the aid that we stand ready uh, to offer to those uh, in the nation of Lebanon. Up next, Daryl Crouch. We're going to talk a little bit closer to home about uh, being good neighbors. He's the pastor of the Green Hill Church. He blogs at crosstide.org. And we're going to talk about how churches can help as schools reopen. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Pastor Daryl Crouch. He's the pastor of the Green Hill Church. He blogs at crosstide.org. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Good to, hey, how good are, to talk how to are, you. It's good to talk to you, too. How are things in your neighborhood? Well, you know, I think people are you know, making their way and anticipating um, making new steps, you know, as schools are trying to reopen and churches are also trying to make steps as, as well toward uh, a more robust uh, program and op- opportunities for ministry. I think there's a there's a cautious optimism, and I think also a reality that uh, we're going into a, a new season of uncertainties. So, uh, all of that. Yeah, I think the new season of uncertainties. You know, for the for the folks um, in my neighborhood, um, those those uncertainties are at least threefold. One, you know, just the ongoing uncertainty about the virus. Um, then this uncertainty about going back to school um, as schools reopen. I don't know about you, but, you know, we get a different email almost every day. Like, the, the you know, the, the plan is the plan has changed. Um, for those of us with special needs kids, those, those conversations are very dynamic um, with individual educators, uh, you know, who are making individualized plans in addition to the plans that, you know, sort of for everybody. Um, and then... You know, those who were relying on um, the the economic relief that was being offered by the federal government, which you know ended uh, at the end of July. And so there is some um, there's some, uh, you know, there's there's some concern and some curiosity about that as well. So you and I are going to talk about churches um, helping as schools reopen and as schools maybe don't physically reopen. So what are you what are you seeing and hearing? 
Well, I think the same thing. I think there's um, an uncertainty among the leadership in our schools. They're doing their very best. I could not imagine what they're having to, to walk through. Uh, we met with a local principal and assistant principal this uh, last week and uh, to talk about how we could come beside them and what that looked like. And we were really, it was interesting, we were the, there was two of us, we were the first from our church that met on their campus. We were the first outsiders on their campus uh, this year. So um, it's, a, it's a new day for them, but they are working hard. Uh, their plans are changing uh, constantly. Uh, they've quit trying to make plans. As of a week ago, they were, they said, you know, we're just going to push the pause button for a minute uh, and not uh, rework the rosters and all the scheduling that we thought we would need. And so uh, they're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and they don't really know what it will look like. And so I think for us uh, to be patient, to know that their good is our goal, that we don't have an agenda that is just to uh, promote whatever we think is important to us, but uh, we've, we've got to be patient and really listen. I think one of the one of the things that's been helpful during this time for us is that it's caused us to stop and just become better listeners and wait on people to figure things out. Everything is harder for everyone in every area of life, and certainly schools. Uh, this is a, a challenge that they've just never faced, and um, so they're they're learning their way, and I think for the church and for the people of of God to s- sit back and and just listen, so that then we can be responsive to the local needs. There's a lot of things regionally that are different uh, around the country and around the world, uh, frankly, and how we serve kids and their families. So I think to get for us to get to know our local principals, our local leaders, and find out what they need here in this community is most important. So I'm looking at an, uh, an article posted at the gospelcoalition.org mm-hmm. about, you know, that includes some really practical ideas about, you know, how Christians can step in and serve. Um, I, I appreciated that it wasn't just, I mean, it is great to open the church facility, right, and provide a safe place for kids to be during the school day. Um, if, you know, their parents need to be at work, uh, their their school is not reopening for in-person classes. I, I do think that offering space at uh, at the church is great. I also thought that um, uh, there, this list of ideas included things that, you know, I certainly had, had not thought of. Partnering with a church, you know, other than your own in a low-income mm-hmm. neighborhood that could also provide that safe space but may not have the resources that, you know, my congregation could bring to bear, but my church might not be located in a neighborhood where that's needed. So, but that was really great. That's a, you know, that's a great idea. Um, inviting Inviting kids who are the children of teachers, right, <laughs> to, yeah. you know, to spend time with us while the teacher is teaching online. That's a great idea as well. I love the, the you know, idea of donating computers. Um, it included there the statistic that 17% of American students lack a computer at home. Well, obviously, they're not going to be able to do online, uh, you know, distance education if they don't have a computer. I mean, on and on and on. Were there things on this list that jumped out at you and you thought, you know, that's a, that's a great new good idea? No, it, it was really refreshing. I think one of the things that uh, churches are facing or this, is the same thing that, that schools are facing and that to congregate on our campuses, there's a, there's a health and safety risk, which is the reason that schools aren't uh, completely open. And so they're going to hybrid models and off-campus models and so on. So churches that have facilities can open the doors to a limited number of kids if they 
have the capacity to do that in terms of staffing and providing food and, and care and, you know, the kind of attention that kids would need during the day. But m- many churches, big and small, just are not prepared for that and can't do that well. So I thought this list uh, at the Gospel Coalition was really helpful in terms of personalizing our ministries, that that individual believers and families can do things that will help. And churches can can organize those things and provide those as opportunities. We do have churches in our community that are that are trying to house and provide day uh, daycare, for lack of a better word, but uh, programming for kids that are out of school. But so many of these things, uh, where we're uh, touching teachers' lives and uh, different seg- sectors of the education world, to help uh, bring a little more wholeness to their experience during this fall. Um, launch. And so, uh, no, I I think the personalization of our ministry so that individual believers say, I can do this. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I can do something for my neighbor. I can do something for a group of uh, teachers in my, that my kids are uh, in their grade level or whatever. And we can create a a family care plan that was, as was uh, identified there in the article to, uh, to just care for some families where we can. Yeah, the the very idea of a family care plan um, was uh, is extraordinarily good idea as well. Love All right, Daryl Crouch and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're gonna um, we're gonna pivot our conversation. We're gonna talk about everyone everyone's Wilson two hundred two school initiative, just as an example of uh, of something to inspire you right where you live. We'll be right back. All right, so back in uh, April of 2019, friends across what's called Wilson County, which is a county just to the east of downtown Nashville, Tennessee, um, I don't know, a bunch of bunch of pastors, 30 to 40 churches from, from Wilson County came together in a joint community prayer gathering um, and really cast this vision for... Um, for coming alongside local schools and local families, really making a difference. So Everyone's Wilson is the name of the effort. And this 2020 initiative, which I had typed in as 202. So this 2020 initiative um, uh, is, you know, been interrupted in some ways. And so I just wanted to get an update, Daryl. Like, how have you guys pivoted in terms of Everyone's Wilson um, in your sort of 2020 efforts? Well, like everyone, for a while, we pushed the pause button just to try to figure out what we were doing uh, with our lives and to stay safe and all of those things. But we are pretty excited. I met with uh, some of our partners uh, last week and uh, have another uh, time with some next week. We've been on Zoom calls, as everyone else has as well. Uh, and we're starting some limited in, in-person um, you know, meetings and so on. But I was on the phone yesterday with um, some community leaders who there's a, a huge interest right now, which is wonderful uh, for a prayer, uh, for a, a time of prayer where we come back together. This um, uh, you referenced was um, a near and very close to the National Day of Prayer there in the first part of May. So we did ours, uh, I think it was the last day or two of April. But um, so we have a, a hunger and a desire to do that again, if we can do that safely uh, sometime this fall. But the partnerships are thriving. And as you know, we had a tornado come through in March as well, just before COVID began to affect us. And so 
the the tragedies, as terrible as they are and as difficult as they are, uh, bring out uh, so much uh, good from our people and cooperation from our churches and community leaders. So we've seen the 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 relationships continue to deepen. The work continues to to go forward. Certainly, the school partnership piece that you referenced is has been uh, put on pause just for a time until we are able to to see what our our schools need the most and uh, what they're able to do. So, but we will uh, introduce um, a school partnership that we've called the Ready Initiative, uh, helping every student um, achieve what God has called them to achieve and be who God's called them and created them to be. So uh, our director of schools, uh, she is uh, totally excited, and there's an open door for us to do that just as soon as the principals um, around our, our district get their bearings, and we're able to introduce that in a way that makes sense to everybody. But uh, we're moving forward with that with the plan of having every school, about 26 to 28 uh, schools in our in our county, surrounded with a coalition of churches and community leaders to help them uh, achieve their goals. So one of the reasons, Daryl, that um, I, I like to remind people of what you guys are doing in your county uh, is to inspire other people to do likewise where they live. Uh, the four initiatives of Everyone's Wilson, which if you guys just want to check it out, it's at everyoneswilson.org. You could use it as inspiration to do something similar where you live. Um, the four initiatives are Everyone Fed. Hunger and food insecurity affects over 25% of the county residents uh, in Wilson County. Everyone Free, alcohol and drug addiction crippling uh, individuals and families. Everyone safe. Teen violence, domestic abuse, human trafficking are on the rise. First responders are heroes. Everyone ready. Education is vital to the flourishing of individuals and communities. And so um, those may not be the four, the, the precisely the same four initiatives that you undertake where you live. Um, but what we want to encourage you to do is be the neighbor who shows mercy and be the neighbor who goes and finds other neighbors who are in a position to show mercy. And then Go show mercy, like find your neighbors who are in particular need. Single moms is a great place to start. Um, but you could go talk to uh, talk to the social workers, talk to the people in your schools. They know they know uh, the statistics and they know the people um, who are in need. And and we as Christians need to step in as neighbor, um, not waiting until we see someone literally on the side of the road. Um, you know, on their way from Jerusalem to Jericho, but going and seeking out those in our communities who we know are in need, we just don't know necessarily where to find them. And the network with other gospel-centered churches uh, for the good of every person uh, in your county right where you live. That's the uh, that's the passionate goal of Everyone's Wilson. So, uh, Daryl, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Blessings on you uh, as you labor. We look forward to what you write next at crosstide.org. Hey, thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. So to debate or not to debate, that seems to be uh, the debate. So we just thought it'd be fun to talk with Hunter Baker about the question of whether or not he thinks there will be debates. I think that there probably will be. Um, How many there will be, what those might be like. Uh, and why there is a hesitancy, at least on one side of the aisle, to debate at all. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. (music) 
So if you missed the 2020 Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, which we just held a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or you wish you had more time to review the content of the conference videos, well, guess what? They are available. You can actually go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com and you can join the extended online access uh, that is provided through the online access pass. So you can get access to all the conference videos from August the 8th to the 31st. So just in a couple of days, those are going to go uh, go live in the extended online version. And it's super affordable. You can access not only the keynote addresses um, and the pro advice panels, but also all of the breakout sessions. Um, and anyway, great. It was, a, it was a good time. A good time was had by all. If you missed it and you still want all of those resources, they are going to be available. Northwestern Christian Writers Conference.com. We'll be right back. I meet too many moms and dads who are frustrated by their teens' lack of communication. The only thing they ever get is a grunt or a one-word answer. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Maybe that's the case in your home, too. So start asking open-ended questions. Don't jump in with the answer, and don't belittle your kid if they have a wacky response. Try it out. Ask your teen things like, what's one thing you'd want to change about our family? Or, who's the greatest sports hero of all time? Or, when was the last time you laughed out loud and why? Have some fun with it. You might be surprised by the responses they blurt out when you engage them in conversation. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. We're going to talk all things politics today. Hey, Hunter, welcome back. Well, hello. Happy to be with you again. All right. So the big debate is whether or not to debate. To debate or not to debate. That is the debate. Right. Right. What do you think? I I don't think they're going to debate. Um, really? Jill really Biden. Don't. Jill Biden says that her man is going to show up. I mean, you know, I have seen the Biden campaign literally step in uh, and cut the feed on a Biden interview. You know, they have they have prematurely ended interviews of his. I can't imagine that they're going to have him up on the stage for 90 minutes. Maybe it'll happen. I mean, I you know, we saw was it yesterday? The. New York Times uh, yesterday or the day before saying that we should scrap the debates. Uh, other mm. Democrat advisors said we should scrap the debates. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and obviously Biden has been, you know, they call it the basement strategy, uh, has not been super available. And I, th- I think the reason for that is, uh, and honestly, I, th- I suspect the same would be true for me, that at, at, in my late 70s, that uh, I would not necessarily be ready for uh, 90 minutes um, in a debate or um, or intense questioning from the press. Uh, I, I look at, at Joe Biden and I see somebody who is uh, experiencing some decline. Uh, 
and I don't say that in a partisan way. I, I don't I don't say that to convince people not to vote for Joe Biden. I think that we all know that when we elect a president, we're not electing that person to turn all the levers and pulleys of American public policy. Uh, that there's a massive apparatus of people and an inner circle and, you know, things like that. Uh, but I, I don't think that he is in good shape uh, to debate. Uh, now, Donald Trump, I don't think, is ever in good shape to debate. I, <laughs> I, thought, that, I thought that his debates with Hillary were horrendous. Uh, I thought they were the worst I had ever seen. And, um, and of course, he still uh, won the election. So uh, I think that when we when we think about um, a debate and we imagine that it's going to be substantive and we imagine that it's going to be something in which we are going to learn not only about the individual, but the policies that they would pursue, the projects they would undertake, uh, you know, their particular perspective on the issues facing us as a people. You know, that's sort of our hope for debates. Um, They have become. maybe more theatrics than um, than substantive in, in recent years, uh, particularly when there have been, you know, it just in, in most of our memories, just so many people on the stage, right, thinking here about the primaries. Um, but so when it comes down to, you know, mano a mano, a one-on-one debate, um, is, there, is there a use for it? I mean, let's make the argument that there's a reason to have them um, and because I think that that's a conversation we should have as well. I think there's clearly a good reason to have them. I mean, I, I think you're 100% correct that the, uh, the cattle call debates that we've seen in the primaries of the last two cycles are not terribly helpful. Um, that, you know, the, you, you may only see, uh, two or three comments from some of the candidates in those sorts of gatherings, but the direct, uh, the direct debate, that's if – you, if you're talking about 90 minutes of direct debate, uh, that could be pretty revealing. I, I, thought, that the, um, I thought the debates with uh, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were mm. uh, pretty good, pretty enlightening. Um, felt like I understood some things watching those. Uh, but, you know, but yes, they do present the opportunity for some weirdness as well. Uh, I can recall in 2000, uh, Al Gore was being advised by, oh gosh, famous feminist. I want to say Naomi Wolf. And she had advised him that he needed to look like the alpha male. And you may remember that strange moment where uh, Bush was answering a question and Al Gore came and kind of towered over him. Right, sort of stood right next to him in almost an intimidating fashion. Uh, that was definitely debate theatrics. Um, so you know, it, it, there's there's positives and negatives. Uh, I would I would prefer that we have a chance to see it, but again, I'm just saying that right now I'm predicting that they will scrap it, and the the reason given will be COVID or something like that. Hmm. All right. Um, other matters that you and I should talk about. How about do you want to do any speculation on Biden's running mate? Well, I, I think he has promised that it will be an African-American woman. Uh, so we'll see who that is. I, if I had to guess, I would probably think maybe, maybe Susan Rice or, uh, or maybe Kamala Harris. Um, 
you know, I actually have you been, have you been talking with the insiders? Because apparently those are the two names still on the list. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Cong- Congress uh, Congressman Bates was uh, was on the list until <laughs> apparently um, her appearances on the Sunday shows where uh, comments that she had made about Cuba and Scientology. She was not prepared to either defend or denounce. And so. Uh, I think that um, she she has maybe fallen out of favor. She was kind of somebody that I, I I liked in terms of being a balanced perspective. But yeah, Kamala Harris and Susan Rice are apparently the leading candidates uh, for Wait, Carmen. You know, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that um, because because I'm on a uh, I'm on a list serve of uh, yeah I just say people kind of in my age group, middle aged conservatives, uh, many of whom are more prominent than myself, and uh, they favored her as well. So yeah, it's I interesting like that you did too, yeah. Oh, there you go. All right, um, so I want to um, I wanna talk about this, uh, I guess survey uh, is a good way to characterize it. Um, apparently, Americans are interested in moral and ethical leadership, so they want a president who's moral and ethical but they're not too concerned that this individual be religious. I'd love to talk with you about where we're going to get this this moral, ethical person if this person is not religious. So, so help me understand that. Well, I mean, that's it, it's it's really interesting because that reminds me a lot of I grew up um, more or less secular, uh, even though I grew up in the South, um, and. I, you know, I had the attitude that I think a lot of secular people do, which is to be lightly alarmed at the person who talks about Jesus too much. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I think that a lot. I of, must be really alarming to people. Then <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that to a lot of secular people, they they hear somebody who talks about Jesus a lot or their faith, and uh, they find that you know mildly concerning, like uh, they think that uh, that you should kind of keep that to yourself. Uh, of course, never talk about it at uh, mixed social gatherings, that sort of thing. And of course, that's completely opposite what we believe about the Christian life, which is that it's lived under the Lordship of Christ, that, um, that the word integrity really relates to having an integrated life between what you think you believe and what you do. Uh, And so we can't sort of set our faith aside. Uh, It has to be, it has to be thoroughly infused into everything that we're doing. Uh, But yeah, I think a lot of Americans, they want this, this fantasy uh, of morality and ethics, but without any clear foundation. Uh, I can recall, I think that uh, Jacques Maritain, famous Catholic uh, philosopher, he talked about when they were trying to put together the UN Declaration of Human Rights, that they could talk about uh, moral principles and, and rights, but everything would fall apart if they tried to talk about the foundation. Uh, and that's kind of how we are. We don't want to get pinned down about where this authority uh, for morality comes from. All right. When we come back, um, I, I'm 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 so hesitant to surface this story, but everybody is talking about it, and so it's hard for me to completely avoid it. Um, the president of Liberty University, which is like the largest Christian university, uh, at least if you base it on their 
uh, you know, online enrollment. Um, it's a very big footprint in terms of uh, of education and at the intersection of politics and faith, because Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, is such a high profile um, figure. Um, and he uh, allowed a photo to be taken of himself um, recently on his yacht during uh, during a party. And um, that photo briefly appeared on his Instagram feed and then was taken down. But as anything posted to the Internet, it has not gone away. So um, Hunter Baker and I are going to um, figure out how to tread into this conversation about standards that we hold our students to or standards that we hold our faculty to or expectations that we have as an institution that maybe are not always applied to uh, those uh, institutional leaders. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm treading carefully here in my conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker. Um, So let's just say an inappropriate photo of the president of Liberty University uh, is now widely circulating. Uh, Posted to his Instagram feed, he is in some level of undress. He is making a joke about holding a beverage that is apparently uh, not, uh, would not qualify under the student conduct code of his own university. And so I think the conversation that I want to have is one about um, who we are, not on our yachts, because none of us are on our yachts, but who we are um, on vacation um, versus who we hold ourselves out to be in public. And when there is a very obvious disconnect between those two things, um, what does that do to our credibility as a Christian leader? Yeah, I, you know, with uh, with Jerry Falwell Jr., I think we've kind of been down this road before. Um, my recollection is is that he made news uh, maybe about a year ago, saying something like that he's not responsible for the spiritual life of the university. He's the president, you know. He's responsible for the finances, things like that, but he's not responsible for the spiritual life of the university. And uh, I, I think that I think that he does seem to see things that way. And of course, the the Liberty University that he leads uh, is a very different one uh, than the one that his father led. Uh, I have uh, known some folks in that in that Liberty world, and and what you hear about uh, Jerry Falwell. The elder is that he 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 had a a very powerful predominant concern uh, about the spiritual lives of people. Uh, I know that he was a controversial figure <clears throat> in American politics, but uh, I have yet to really find anyone who doubts uh, who doubts uh, his faith. Um, and you know, of course, he was he was apparently famous for uh, putting the school in financial trouble by giving too many scholarships to too many kids, things like that. Uh, with Falwell Jr., I think that he is one of the major architects for the university's financial success. They were they were obviously very early uh, with online, um, so so he has been successful that way. But it's absolutely right that he has shown this uh, terrible lack of judgment. Uh, I can't even imagine, you know, look, I'm not nearly as important 
uh, as Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, I'm just a dean uh, at a much smaller college, but I would never, ever post anything like that photo because there's a good likelihood that that would be the end of me at Union University. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he feels uh, that powerful, that untouchable. Maybe he enjoys the the provocation. Something like that seems to be going on because it happens over and over again. I, I also remember his very intemperate response to Russell Moore uh, when Russell Moore expressed concerns over Donald Trump or some policy, he he you know he acted as though uh, Russell Moore had nothing to say because he wasn't a businessman. Uh, and of course, uh, if that's our standard, then we don't ever want to hear from pastors, and that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there does seem to be. Um, uh, I mean, he is drawing this line. Um, the the quote that you were thinking about um, from. <clears throat> I don't know, it probably is a year ago, June of 2019. So yeah, just over a year ago. Um, this is Falwell on uh, on whether or not he has any responsibility for the spiritual health and welfare of the students at his university. Um, he is uh, he is responding to, um, to criticism, clarifying that uh, he is not a spiritual leader. Uh, he says to his critics, you're putting your ignorance on display. I've never been a minister. UVA-trained lawyer and commercial real estate developer for 20 years, university president for the past 12 years, student body tripled to 100,000-plus, endowment from zero to $2 billion, $1.6 billion in new construction in those same 12 years. And then he goes on to say the faculty, students, and campus pastor, David Nasser, uh, are the ones who keep uh, Liberty U strong spiritually as the best Christian university in the world. So um, he, uh, he clearly sees, and then the, the walk-off sentence is this, while I'm proud to be a conservative Christian— my job is to keep uh, LU successful academically, financially, and in, and in athletics. It, it's interesting to me that a university of president um, does not see the spiritual welfare of his faculty students or uh, or the reputation, uh, the Christian reputation of his of his university to be a part of his calling, a part of his job. My job is to keep LU successful academically, financially, and in athletics. Um, I know that you know as a as a family that's looking at schools right now. You know we have a we have a yes. senior in high school, so we're looking right now. I can tell you that's a non-starter for me as a parent. Yeah, I I mean there are a lot of issues uh, with Liberty right now that way. I mean there's a lot of reputational risks, uh, and I I don't know why he doesn't see that. I I think that. Uh, I think that he is uh, so comfortable with their success, which is which is laudable, and I and I have been up there to speak, uh, and I found it impressive. Um, but at the same time, they're they're in a very dangerous situation because uh, I think that he imprudently uh, got way too involved in the last presidential election, and and has been too involved in uh, in politics. Period. Because colleges, uh, including Christian colleges, are typically nonprofits, uh, receive a lot of uh, money through their students from the federal government, and um, and that's a big part, especially veterans' benefits and things like that, of how they have built the house over there. And uh, I think that he needs to be much more statesmanlike in his approach, but on the on the spiritual side of things, more importantly, I don't like that distinction, you know, oh, I'm not a pastor. Me uh, either. That goes yeah, I don't like that distinction and, at all. That, that goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier. 
is that we have a thoroughly integrated life. We don't get to say, I'm not a pastor, and so I don't X, Y, or Z, right? I mean, we believe in the priesthood of believers. We're mm-hmm. all accountable. Uh, and, you know, I think that he would be wise to, to adopt that approach as well. All right. Uh, Hunter Baker and I are going to prayerfully um, intercede on behalf of, I mean, I, I, I don't say that lightly. Like, right, there's a there's a prayerful intercession that needs to take place here. Um, and for those of you who've been listening to us talk about uh, this brother, uh, we are we are going to certainly pray for him as well. Um, all right. And, uh, you know, full disclosure here, I represent the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is an excellent Christian academic institution. Hunter represents Union University, another excellent Christian academic uh, institution of higher ed. Um, so there are places that you can feel good about sending your kids. There you go. All right. Uh, I got to take one more break. Um, Hunter, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. What you post on social media never goes away. Um, I think my encouragement is don't do anything in private that you wouldn't feel comfortable being broadcast uh, across the platforms of the world, but maybe more importantly, seen by the living God. You know, we worship a God who sees, uh, and he's not missing anything. He's not missing anything. So you can live in that confidence today, and let me encourage you to live as a demonstration of the gospel as well. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Bill English and Michael Brown. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.